Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have Greg Ravel with me, who is the CMO of Kohl's. Greg, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, Nadine. It's great to talk with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, I'm super excited you could join me. You know, we've had a number of discussions over the years when you were still at Best Buy and now moved over to Kohl's. And I know you've been at Kohl's now for a while. So tell me a little bit about why you went to Kohl's and and what you're loving about what you're doing right now. Yeah, well, first of all, it is a lot of fun. It's a great company. We've been around for about 50 years now, 130,000 associates, stores in every state. And we're one of the top retailers in the United States. So I feel as a person, as a CMO, really fortunate to be here. And even more than that, just the people here have been absolutely terrific. It's been a, sort of a, a critical part of my onboarding is getting to meet so many great associates that we have, both in our stores and, and here at corporate. And it's really, been a, it's really been a privilege so far. I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you've been a real champion about people and also helping them find their passion. And you have a lot of passion. So tell me a little bit about your your leadership style and how you think about your teams and how you grow them. Yeah, I, I think you got to start. Um, you have to love what you do every day. Um, and I've been fortunate. I've done a number of different things in my career, both within and, and outside of marketing. And I've, I found I just love the day-to-day work of, of what I do. And with that, I've had the opportunity to to play in essentially every part of marketing, whether it's in branding, um, media, digital as a whole rich area, um, personalization is an area I spend a lot of time in, loyalty, in-store. And I just say every every bit of it is something I've just, the more I learn, the more I enjoy it, the more I want to do it. So for me, I feel like I've really found a function that resonates with what kind of gets me going. Then the other part is the, is the people aspect to it. And I'd say probably earlier in my career, the more technical aspects of of marketing were, were really interesting. And as I've developed further and spent more time with it, it's actually probably the people part that might even be the most fun. And you kind of have the the aspect of just learning from a bunch of great people around you that have more expertise than than you do. And also motivating those people to do things that, they, that even they haven't done yet. That's part of what I get a lot of energy from. And then outside of marketing, one of the really fun things is, is certainly you, you progress in your career is you get to work more and more cross-functional. And as part of the executive team here under our new CEO, Michelle Goss, it's just a privilege for me to kind of sit alongside our, our chief merchant and our chief financial officer, our head of operations, et cetera, and, and to get to work with them to solve even problems outside of marketing. So it's been a ton of fun. I really love coming to work every day. Wow. Okay. So I have five questions for you already based on everything that you said, but let's, let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you get involved in marketing to begin with? And did you ever think you'd be a CMO when you first set out? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I'd, I'd say definitively no. Um, <laughs> I started out out of college. I started on Wall Street, actually. I was working uh, in Silicon Valley as a, as a very junior investment banker, helping companies raise money and go public and things like that. So a very different job, very different role. And through that, I fell in love with a lot of the companies that I got a chance to work with and essentially discovered, you know, I'd really, I'd really love just kind of being part of an operating team to build customer bases and build organizations and build products. And so I sort of started my path in a very financial world and then it's evolved. And I actually came to marketing pretty late in my career, much later than most. I was about 30 years old when I got my first marketing job. And, uh, and obviously I've stayed in it ever since, but it's been, a, it's been a really cool adventure. Wow. Okay. So interesting that you said you were in investment banking and I've come across now after however many episodes, a number of CMOs who started in finance and then moved over into marketing. What was the biggest hurdle you had when you transitioned? Probably the the first thing is the people are very different. So if you're, you're in a finance organization, people tend to be very spreadsheet driven, obviously, you know, very numerical, Everything is about ROI. So it's extremely technical and and you have sort of people that are very much bent toward that sort of thinking. And then you get in marketing and it's almost the exact opposite. It's all about customers and brands and breakthrough creative approaches and innovative approaches to media. And so just the, the problems that you're solving are totally different. The people that you're working with are totally different. And to be honest, it was an adjustment. I was fortunate I had a digital marketing role was my first one, which is probably you know, among all the different marketing disciplines, it tends to be a little bit more quantitative than the rest. So I sort of eased my way in. But, you know, when, when I jumped into building brands and creating campaigns, like all these things were, were a bit of a jump. And I'd say I kind of learned my way through it. So were there any special things that you did to help get immersed in this? You know, whether it was, did you go read a whole bunch of content? Did you take your partners out to lunch? How did you really grab hold of all the new things that you needed to adopt? Yeah, I'm still doing that, to be honest. <laughs> it's always something I don't know enough about. You know, I, I'd say what, I, what I've tried to do really throughout my career, whenever I'm jumping into something I'm really not familiar with, first I try to just find the best people and put the best people around me that I can. You know, ideally, that know a lot more about something than I do. So a good example would be creative. I certainly didn't start my career in, on the creative side of our, of our world. And so I have and I continue to try to find the very best creative minds. And then I, one, sort of empower them. And I say, you know what? I might not have the greatest strength in that particular area. That's why you're here. And then I, I tend to listen to them. So if they have recommendations, particularly in an area where I'm not an expert, I tend to follow those a lot. And at the same time, I also ask a lot of questions. So it's not just my job to kind of follow advice, but it's also my job to to get smart and to fulfill any gaps that I have in, in my knowledge. And so I, I'll get my creatives together and I'll say, you know, how, how do you think about this? What is the way that you drive brand and how do you create love for your company? And I get all sorts of different answers and they might all be a little bit different, but that's helped formulate how I look at creative and, and how I look at so many other things. Okay. So I love that philosophy. In fact, I was just on the phone with a friend of mine who is looking for her next role And one of her criteria is that the person she wants to work for is a good listener, but also ask a lot of questions. And when I asked her why, she's like, just because I feel like it's more of a conversation and we're more of a team. And I think that's a really important tip. And in fact, Denise Carco said it on her podcast too, that her biggest challenge in the beginning was knowing that it wasn't about having all the answers, but asking all the right questions. Yeah. And I I think Jeff Jones said this as well. It's so much about surrounding yourself with the very best people that you can. I think he said that he often has people around him that know a lot more about their disciplines 
Um, and he does even back when he was a chief marketing officer. And I, I tend to follow that as well. I'd love to think that every one of my direct reports is better at their job than I would be in their place. And I certainly aspire to surround myself with people like that. And um, I think it's really important. You have to be you have to be humble enough to say, you know, you're actually not the expert in everything and, and humble enough to know the people that are. So how do you develop that confidence in someone? Like when you don't know what you don't know, there's got to be other traits about that person that makes you feel confident in their ability other than delivering results. I mean, is there a culture fit? Is there something that you look for on how you build your team? Yeah, I, I certainly look for culture fit. Every team sort of has its own dynamic. I always look for teams that tend to be more collaborative than sort of individually driven. And different companies have different cultures. Kohl's is very much that sort of culture, very collaborative here. And so when anytime I bring someone in my organization, it's really important that that's an ethos that works for them as well. And then from, a, from an expertise standpoint, so I'd say oftentimes I can sort of spot talents. Even if I'm not an expert in something myself, I can generally tell if someone does have that, that ability just from the way that they answer questions and their thoughtfulness. And of course, their track record, right? If you look back at what, what someone's done in the past, that's a great indication of, of their future potential. And then I try to have a pretty wide swath of interviewers. So I'll do a lot of cultural type interviews, even with people outside marketing, just to be sure they're going to kind of fit with a broader organization. And then I'll look for the subject matter experts within my own team, or at least as close to it as the candidate. And then I, I ask them to assess, hey, what's their technical skill in that area? And sort of through a combination of all those things, I develop a a confidence in, in someone's ability to, to come in the organization. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I'd say more often than not, I've, I've had pretty good luck there. Okay. So that was really helpful. Thanks so much for that. Let's move over to where you're spending your time the most right now. Cause you just mentioned to me before we jumped on the podcast that you're spending almost two thirds of your time right now in loyalty and personalization. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Um, but just to give you a little bit of context on that. So Kohl's has, has had a really kind of an interesting run. We had a fabulous holiday and you know, continued strength into Q1. And so the company has a ton of momentum. And it's something that, that we talk about all the time and internally. It's just there's a kind of a new energy here. And so in terms of looking forward, the, the question we all are trying to answer is, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next and the next? And we have a, just a, a terrific team running our business. And what I need to really push is, what capabilities do we need to create uh, for our organization to ensure the long-term success of, of marketing and cold broadly? And, and, and so for us, there's really a couple aspects that, that we've sort of identified as huge priorities. One of those is personalization. And it's one of the great topics in marketing. You probably get any CMO with, a, with an opinion on personalization and how important is it and how to do it. And it's something that we need to be very successful at um, in our business in order to be successful. So that's been a big push. Um, and then the second is loyalty. And um, Kohl's is, has been known for many, many years as, as being very, very strong in loyalty. And in fact, we're generally seen as sort of number one in retail in that area. And so that's got that sort of pros and cons. The pros are we have this great foundation um, to work from. The, the con is that it's really hard to move up from here. So given the importance of it, we, we've got to really innovate and sort of build a loyalty program that's not just new to coal, sort of new to the industry in order to get to a, to a different place. And so we've put a lot of energy into a pilot that we just launched um, about a month ago. And, uh, and so we want to make sure that pilot works as well as we can prior to full launch. Can you share more on what that pilot is? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So we, uh, we, launched, we have about 1,100 stores total. Um, and we launched a, a pilot in about 10% of the, of the footprint. And what we really wanted to, to figure out was how do we really simplify what was a somewhat complex value proposition for Kohl's 
so we have, just to, to give you a little bit of detail on that, we have this Kohl's cash value proposition, which we're really well known for. You come, basically, you come to Kohl's, you buy something, and for every $50 you spend, we give you $10 back to come back in a future visit. And if you talk to just an ordinary consumer on the street, that's one of the things they'll probably talk about if you ask them about Kohl's. And then we have a, a credit card, which is hugely important to us. A, a lot of our customers are also Kohl's charge holders. And then we have this other sort of standalone loyalty program that's made for non-credit card holders called Yes to You, and it's based on points. And so you have this Kohl's cash value proposition, you have a credit card value proposition, and you have a points-based value proposition. And together, they're great, but together, they're also extremely complex, <laughs> especially for new customers. And so what we're doing is essentially, how do we rethink the entire platform, simplify it, and take the best elements of each to create something that, that's really never been done at Kohl's or in the industry? So that's what we... That's what we launched about a month ago, and I can't speak on the financial results or anything like that, but I can tell you we're certainly encouraged by the success of the launch so far. Okay, so that's that's very cool. You know, and I'm tempted, so, so tempted to go deep, deep, deep into that because I spent the first 20 years of my career doing customer centricity consulting, and it, it, especially in Europe, you see really, really layered loyalty programs that are get to be very confusing sometimes. So making it simple and helping the customer really understand the benefits, obviously key. Are there any tips that you can share with us on some guiding principles around loyalty and personalization? Yeah, on, on the loyalty side, or just sort of more generally, I'd, I'd say oftentimes as an organization, as a company, and as a marketing team, you're trying to solve so many problems with your marketing, whether it's a loyalty program or something else, that you wind up making things overly complex. I mean, you really have to... My, what I sort of guided the team, I said, you know, as, as you're relaunching this program, what I need you to be able to do is explain it to your grandmother in 10 seconds or less. And <laughs> have a really crisp explanation of what you're trying to do that you, you can essentially explain very quickly to a layperson, then you've hit the mark. But I think if you look at most loyalty programs today, it's really hard to do that because they've layered so many different bits and pieces and odds and ends onto these things in order to try to solve different objectives that you tend to lose the plot overall with the customer. And so that was, that was sort of a, a core tenet, was how do we really simplify it and kind of bring it down to its bare essences and, and have that be compelling. And so I think that's, that's really important, not just in, in loyalty, but, but sort of in everything we do as marketers. And I think if you move into more in the personalization sphere, it's a little bit different challenge. And that what you're actually trying to do is you create a lot of complexity internally. What you're trying to do is make, make the experience for every single customer a little bit different and tailored to who they are. And so what that means is that from a customer perspective, it's actually really simple. You're essentially seeing the same messages no matter how you interact with the company, whether you're in store or you're online or in a, in a marketing channel. But every customer is seeing a different set of messages across all those different touch points. So from a customer perspective, it's super simple. But as you can probably guess, from an organizational standpoint, it's incredibly complex to do that. And so on the, on the personalization side, it starts with the core of having a really simple customer message but it's creating a, a lot of challenge within your organization. How do you align all these different touch points together, but do so differently depending on who the customer is? And so it's, it's a fun and, and very energizing opportunity for us. So when you think about the kinds of talent that you have on your team to be able to deliver against that objective, I mean, things have they continuously changed year after year. Is there a new skill set or are there new capabilities that you're investing in today for tomorrow or things that you're trying to build out? Yeah, I'd say what's sort of new for this is the way we've had to approach the problem from an organizational perspective. And then that, that's what sort of creates your talent profile. So 
traditionally, like Kohl's and I think a lot of other places, personalization has been a bit ambiguous because it, it touches all the different organizations within the company. So you have stores, right? They're typically in a more operations part of your organization and oftentimes quite distant from marketing. You have e-commerce and your, your digital properties, and that's oftentimes a standalone organization. And then you also, of course, have your marketers, and they own all the, the CRM as well as the, the sort of digital and, and broadcast and, and direct mail, that sort of stuff. So you have all these different organizations that essentially own all these touch points with the customer. Um, and historically, it's been extremely hard to organize those things together. And that's one of the reasons why personalization has been so challenging. And what we've, what we've started with is we actually need to bring in people that are really good sort of first and foremost, working cross-functionally because you can't just do this kind of thing in marketing. You have to find someone or a group of people who can bring in stores people, bring in technology people, bring in uh, e-commerce people, and basically create groups that can work really well together to solve problems across all of those teams. So it takes you know a unique kind of leader who can do that. So we're looking for really strong cross-functional leadership, not just marketing expertise, but, but the ability to bring people together. We also need the ability, just really fast learners, because you do have to know your function, but you have to have a good enough grasp of the other functions around you to be able to coordinate them. And then you need um, a lot of sort of specialized expertise around analytics, around technology, and then you need to be able to combine all those things with brand and, and, and media as well. So where we're really beefing up is sort of on the leadership side and people that can work in this sort of new way, and also some of the, the functional expertise, um, particularly around technology, customer experience, uh, and analytics. Okay, so that is really helpful. And when you think about how you bring all these different types of people with different backgrounds together to work as groups, are there some key principles that you would share that are sort of your driving keys for success? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things we we sort of learned along the way. I think one is it's really important that you empower people as as junior in the organization as you possibly can. So in other words, if, if we tried to make decisions where the head of stores, the head of e-commerce, the head of technology, and the head of marketing all had to agree in order to, to get something done across all those functions, well, first of all, just getting those four people in the same room together can be a challenge. So what you need to be able to do is essentially all those leaders need to empower people within their teams to make decisions. And oftentimes that's uncomfortable, you know, particularly in organizations where a lot of decisions have historically been made in the, at the center. Um, that can be very different. And so... That's one big tenet, and it's the only way we're, we're really able to move forward with, with agility is, is, is that sort of dissemination of, of authority. And then the, the second thing is, is what, we've, what we've asked all these people to do is when you, when you join, we call them a, a squad. It's a these group of cross-functional people that come together. When, when you join a squad, you essentially leave your, your functional hat at the door. So you're no longer, when you're part of this team, you're no longer a marketing person. You're no longer an e-commerce person. You're no longer a technologist. Um, you're a member of that group first. You're, you're part of a cross-functional team um, to deliver personalization first, and then you bring your expertise in order to help accomplish that. But essentially, all ideas are democratized. Anybody can bring an idea on how to do it. Um, you know, a, a stores person could suggest something that marketing does. A technologist could suggest something we do in stores, et cetera. And there's a real sort of egalitarian ethos that's, that's also, I think, really important in order to get everybody's best thinking together and to for everyone to feel empowered to make the ideas happen. So those are very different in our organization, I'd say, and I would imagine a lot of others. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the concept, empower people to be the best that they can be and to bring their best selves to work. And with you as the CMO, I mean, obviously you have a number of teams reporting into you. 
how much do you get involved in thinking through the entire culture of Kohl's and being part of that environment? Yeah, we, well, first of all, culture is really important for our organization. We, we've been really fortunate in that we've really grown up organically. You know, a lot of times cultures are challenging when you have, um, let's say you're a, you're a subject of a whole bunch of acquisitions that sort of came together, and so you don't really have this sort of common corporate heritage. We have this great heritage of Kohl's. You know, we started as a, as a grocery store 50 years ago, and we've really built organically from there. Um, and so we have this great past that we can, that we can draw upon. And I would say, you know, my job and the jobs of, of really every leader in the company is how do you embrace the culture that you have? And if there are ways that you can improve upon it, you know, do that too. We're not, we're not just trying to preserve the past. We're trying to embrace the past and then evolve it to become even better over time. And so, as, you know, in, in my role, I, I'd say, like, for example, internal communications is something that, that I spend a fair amount of my time on. And I want to make sure that our internal communications team really thinks about the culture and really thinks about how do we, how do we reinforce that? in the way that we communicate, the things that we communicate um, across the organization. And I'd say that, you know, within each each of the rest of my teams as well, it's important that we all sort of feel like we're part of a a united group with a certain way of doing things and that we value a common set of principles and objectives as as an organization. And as a leader, you have to do that. That doesn't happen from the bottom up. That's actually one of the things that has to kind of happen from the top. So I take that as, as one of my core responsibilities. Let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's talk about you and your journey again. So as you were going from role to role, are there any major life lessons that you learned along the way that really helped shape your career? Yeah, from a career guidance standpoint, I'd say first and foremost, I've done a lot of things. Like I've done a bunch of different functions. I've been in a bunch of different industries and I've gotten to work with a bunch of different kinds of people. And I'd say now kind of sitting where I am today, every one of those experiences and sort of even if it wasn't directly related to what I do today, it was helpful either in helping me be a better leader, um, better at strategy, better at financial management, better at marketing, certainly. And so what I would advise, especially early in your career, rather than pursuing sort of a straight linear path from you know a very junior role within a function all the way to a very senior role, as I'd encourage you to try to dabble in as many areas as you possibly can. And for me, it was sort of moving from travel to automotive and into retail. It was taking some stops running e-commerce, you know, getting into financial services along the way. I just, I've, all those experiences have been extremely helpful. And as you get more senior, it actually gets harder and harder to do that. <laughs> so, so I'd say, just say as, a, as a junior person, that's really critical. I think the other thing, and, and I hope this is sort of a, an overall theme that you can kind of draw here, is, is you just have to be humble the entire time. Because the moment that you think you're really expert in something, there's something new to be learned whether it's in, in branding, whether it's in loyalty or personalization, like I just said, I, I would not consider myself the foremost expert in anything, but I'm constantly a student of how to do my role better. And I think is you see a lot of people in our industry, they sort of profess to know more than they, than they might know, or, or almost they close themselves off to continuing to learn and develop. And I'll be the first to say it, it is important, you know, as a senior person, that you have to be respected for what you bring. But I think you also need to be respected for who you are and how you approach your job. And I've always tried to approach my job as a student, even if I might be the most expert in it, um, I, would, I would never say I'm done learning or that I have all the answers. 
You know, and Greg, it's super clear. I mean, obviously we started this podcast talking about your passion and it's clear all the way through how much you love what you do and how respectful you are of your team members. And I, I just hats off to you. I think that's a beautiful trait in a leader and to be commended. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> okay, so we are almost out of time. So I've got two more questions for you. Before I do that, though, is there anything else top of mind that you would share right now with anyone who's listening? You know, I, I think one thing I would say that's, you've probably heard it before, I would also reinforce it. As you develop, but essentially once, you, once your team grows, to about five people, that's sort of a critical transition point where your respective value goes down and the value of the people that work for you goes up. And so by the time you get to be a CMO, I, I consider my success 90% driven by what my people do and about 10% driven by what I do. You know, I, I certainly have a certain amount of control over you know, what I personally do. But more importantly, it's how do I create an environment where people come to work every day and are positioned to do their very best work. And I feel like if I'm able to do that, I'm able to attract the right people, and they are passionate and motivated and empowered, success will sort of take care of itself. And, and that was not the case when I was an individual contributor, but that's almost exclusively the case today. So I think if there is sort of one thing I think about a lot in leadership and in my career progression, it, it has much more to do with thinking about how my organization is put together and the people that I'm working side by side with every day than it is thinking about a lot of the classic marketing problems and strategies and things that, that we all talk about all the time. So that is a perfect segue to one of my two last questions. So the second to last question is around mentoring and being mentored. And I'm curious, do you have any tips for someone who is either trying to be a mentor to someone else, or as a mentee, things that they should ask? Yeah, I'd say in trying to be a mentor, it, it really comes down to how, if you are seen as a really good leader, the people around you will want you to help them. And so I think that the sign of that is if people are asking you to mentor for them, that says you're generally doing the right stuff. If people are not asking you to do those things, I think you have to, you kind of have to look inward and you have to say, okay, what is it that, that I can do to be more helpful to the people in my organization? And if, and if you do that, they'll gravitate and they'll ask you. So that, that's the advice on, on that side. With regards to mentors the other way and looking for mentors, it's probably a little bit less organic. And, and, I'll, and I'll say why I say that. In my personal sort of views, it's really important that, first of all, your, your boss or your manager, that is the single most important person you have in, in shaping your career success, but also your career happiness. And so you should always try to find a boss or a manager who you would consider a mentor. And if you don't feel that way today, you should actively seek to change that situation. You're not going to probably get your boss to change, but you should put yourself in a role where you really feel like you can learn a lot from the person that you work for. And, and I've always sort of held, held that pretty close. And, and for me, that makes me pretty picky, I'd say, as a, as a direct report. I, I ask a lot of the people that I, that I work for because I want to learn from them. And then beyond that, where, where you need extra expertise, you should spend the time to develop a network of people, particularly that are good at things that you want to be good at, um, and ask them. And what I've found is that most people are very generous with their time. They might be two or three levels above you. If you go and ask them 
for help in developing a specific area, more often than not, they'll say yes. Because I think people generally want to be helpful. They want to be mentors. And so I would just encourage your listeners to, to do that. Okay. So that that's excellent advice. And um, I really love the points that you made. You know, they always say, you don't quit a job, you quit your boss. And uh, <laughs> that's right. That's a very fair point. Exactly. So my very last question for you, Greg, if you weren't already doing everything that you love to do, what would you be doing if it wasn't this? <laughs> that's a great question. I would be sailing. My personal passion outside of work, I have, I have a wonderful family and every moment that we have outside of here in Milwaukee, we're, we're typically out sailing. And and the reason is actually not so much for, for the boats and the water and all that sort of stuff, but it's because we get to spend really the, our best time together. We turn off all of our electronics. Um, we just get to spend time sort of being a family. And I think, you know, as I have my, my, my best memories are, are doing that. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to be out about doing that next week. So I can't wait. Okay. Well, super. Well, I wish you a very wonderful sailing adventure. And uh, thank you so, so much for all the words of wisdom and great advice that you've given here today. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Nadine. And, and congrats again on all your success with the podcast. It's been really fun uh, joining you today. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That makes it all worth it. So with that, I'm sure we'll be back with you another day to get more information on some of these great tips, but uh, have a super time next week with your family on your boat. Thanks. You as well. Thanks. Bye-bye.